This episode is brought to you by Roundtable Group, the experts on experts. We've been connecting attorneys with experts for over 25 years. Find out more at roundtablegroup.com. Welcome to Discussions at the Roundtable. I'm your host, Noah Balmer, and today I'm excited to welcome Dr. Harvey Siegel. Dr. Siegel is a professor emeritus of radiology for USC and has over 60 years in medicine. He maintains a full-time teleradiology practice and is possibly the foremost expert in pediatric neuroradiology. Dr. Siegel holds an MD from the University of British Columbia. Dr. Siegel, thank you so much for joining me here today. It's a pleasure, Noah. Thank you. Absolutely. Let's jump into it. You've made a successful uh, career, a medical career spanning over six decades. Uh, was medicine and radiology specifically always your path? Uh, well, at, at an early age, I um, acquired an interest in becoming a physician. I had a, an aseptic necrosis of my hip around seven years old and Put into a cast by an orthopedist, and uh, my mother pointed out how wonderful the orthopedist was, and that sort of instilled an interest in medicine. I just defaulted into radiology because I didn't know what I wanted to do, and I thought, well, that would be a nice, broad specialty just to engage. With, uh, with such a long and storied career, I imagine that that both the medical technology and the legal framework have changed quite a bit. How do you remain an expert in your field throughout all of these changes? The, uh, the, the specialty of neuroradiology as I practice it today is totally different uh, than when I started my fellowship. In those days, we visualized the brain uh, largely by cerebral angiography, in which we punctured the carotid arteries and injected contrast or did retrograde brachial injections. Uh, that, so we did angiography. And then we also did pneumoencephalography where we put air into the ventricular system by a lumbar puncture or in some, some cases by doing ventriculography through a catheter placed into the ventricles. Wow. Then myelography was either using air or uh, using a lipid-based contrast contain uh, uh, myelography. So over the years now, that's totally changed. And most of the imaging that we do is CT, MR, uh, and infants, ultrasound. There's been a complete turnover in the, in the specialty over the years. And then magnetic resonance imaging has developed in all sorts of different types of studies that that's really amazing the evolution I've uh, heard you know similar accounts in in varying fields where the technology has changed a lot and and some people have said that you have to kind of pick and choose the technologies that you want to become an expert in and, and use and then some of them you may find to be a passing fad. Um, but in terms of being what you what you would be what you would call quote unquote an expert in your field, how what techniques do you use to stay abreast? Do you read a lot of paperwork? Do you attend uh, trade events? Um, do you take continuing education? What sorts of um, techniques do you and experts in your field use to re to uh, maintain your expertise? Right. Well, I think attending meetings is uh, certainly a big help uh, for the upcoming 
meeting of the American Society of Head and Neck Radiology. I'm actually I actually have two presentations accepted, and I've been invited to speak uh, for the October meeting this year of the uh, Western Neuroradiological Society. So not only am I attending the meeting, but I'm actually on the faculty of these. So that that's helpful. What I do is there's nothing more helpful than Google. Uh, <laughs> anything you want to know, you go to Google. And that pertains to medicine. If, if I see a condition that I need to refresh my knowledge, or if I uh, come up with something where I need to get myself more, I, I just go to the web. And there's so many resources out there. Uh, and then a lot of these courses are online. So you have to maintain a curiosity, continue to educate yourself and, and grow as a physician. And how did you take that expertise and kind of parlay that into a career, or really a sub-career of expert witnessing? When were you very first contacted uh, to be an expert witness? Is it something that you would even heard about prior to being contacted? Well, I think this happened when I was at the L.A. County USC. The local attorneys uh, would get in touch with me and on, on various cases that fell within my area of expertise. You know, if you think back to when, you know, maybe not the specific cases, but when you were first getting started, did you feel prepared and ready and um, well-versed? Did the attorneys do an adequate job preparing you for either a report or a deposition or cross-examination, whatever the case may be, compared to now? What 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 have you learned um, throughout your career? What are the techniques uh, that uh, attorneys use to prepare an expert um, that you find has been uh, helpful? Uh, the attorney would send me the records uh, and they would tell me what the problem was and what the contentions were. So mm -hmm. I would take a look at the data uh, available and then we'd engage in further uh, discussion and uh, address the, the salient points and go from there. The process really hasn't changed. It's been the same from the get-go. I think the only thing that, that I've developed really over the years is just a better understanding of the legal process, how to navigate through the pitfalls uh, that you might uh, encounter along the way, you know, what to say and what not to say and how to behave uh, during a deposition. I think what I've actually learned is really nothing about the medical aspects because <laughs> that's what uh, you're I mean, an expert uh, on <laughs> yeah, yeah I, uh, I think it's 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 just having an understanding of the 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 legal process that's when we talk about pitfalls what are some of those pitfalls that you can find yourself or other experts can find themselves in when they're in the middle of a deposition or cross examination you know only answer the the, the questions don't don't elaborate if it's not needed uh don't don't be overly argumentative have you been in a position where uh the opposing team has tried to impeach your expertise to say that oh uh you know dr siegel isn't really an expert in this area look at these kinds of things have have you been kind of the subject of oppositional research 
once or twice found it appropriate to, to try to uh, debate something that I've said. Uh, that's happened, but rarely. Have you, uh, you know, often known the uh, experts on the other side? Oh, yes. Uh, like, for example, uh, I frequently used to be on the opposite side on pediatric cases from a physician who's uh, now deceased. It always seemed that on some of these pediatric cases, I was on the defendant's side and he was on the plaintiff's side. I always respected him for the fact that uh, I could never argue with his analysis and his <laughs> findings and the way he reported. I sort of admired his honesty. I've also encountered others uh, whom I think less well on that. <laughs> <laughs> on that same topic of ethical considerations, prior to the show, we were talking a little about about uh, kind of fly-by-night operations, for lack of a better term, where people are, you know, expert witnesses or ex or alleged expert witnesses are claiming that they can kind of, you know, be an expert that's going to be in your favor, regardless of what your position is. And that was really, really fascinating to me. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. Well, I've noted that there are several centers uh, where uh, they... Um, perform Im imaging studies that have certain embellishments that are purported to discover abnormalities that um, uh, cannot be seen by the human eye. So they take this hocus-pocus information that's generated by certain softwares uh, and uh, methods uh, that where they claim that they're abnormalities. Then, then they refer to articles written by psychiatrists who um, contend that uh, these are valid observations. And, and an important component is the imaging evaluation, where there's not a neuroradiologist involved, but rather a psychiatrist. And then they publish this information, uh, which demonstrates how the information is useful and better than what an experienced neuroradiologist can provide, which, of course, is contradicted by more honest and uh, solid information by real experts who are neuroradiologists. But they invoke this, these references from the literature that's pure garbage authored huh. by psychiatrists. <laughs> so there are various shops, and they will advertise on their websites that we will evaluate uh, where we have expertise in brain injury. Besides the more obvious breaches of ec of ethics like that, um, have you had attorneys try and get you to kind of fudge your opinion one way or the other? Oh, yeah, sure. So how, how do you handle that? Do you do you, uh, you know, obviously, if it's at the beginning of an engagement, you can just not take the case. Um, but if it's during an engagement, do you just walk away? Do you tell them, hey, this is not the kind of work that I do? How do you handle a situation like that? It's It's been a long time since I've had that type of situation. I would just be upfront about it. I'd say that that's a position I can't support. Tell them, listen, I don't think I'm your best expert because I don't think there's a case here. You don't take as many cases these days, but thinking back on your career, do you or have you turned down a significant number of engagements? Uh, well, yes. I got a wonderful offer to be professor of radiology at the Medical College of Wisconsin. 
and start up a new pediatric neuroradiology service. I was turning away cases for seven, eight years. Would you say that more often than not, then the the reason to turn down cases hasn't had anything to do with expertise, but more of a timing consideration then? Yeah, that would be the the main thing. Uh, Most cases, as they come to me, I look at them and I see no reason why not. Uh, If they come from either side, I'll, I'll take them on. Did you used to advertise? I always thought it was unethical. Oh, that's interesting. In what way? Uh, well, you know, back in the days w- when uh, when I came out of medical school, this business of driving down the freeway and seeing uh, uh, attorneys advertising, ah. uh, you, you know, that, that didn't exist. But now, um, well, uh, every, everybody's advertising. It's primarily your reputation that brings in business at this point. Yeah, I mean, I I, I just don't need it. Uh, once I get into a case uh, and I'm working with an attorney, especially if it's a good attorney, uh, so I do it when it comes, when it doesn't, that's fine too. Um, before we wrap up, I want to uh, pivot to a few things that I like, like to ask all of my guests. And one of them is the importance of winning a case. Um, first off, do you stay abreast of a case? If you give a deposition or if you're in for cross, uh, or even if you just do a report, do you follow the case through completion? Does you, you stay in touch with the attorney to see how the case winds up? Is that something that's important to you as an expert? Yeah, I guess to some extent, like I remember, I think, well, one case uh, where there was really a great satisfaction to me, there was a case brought against a prominent pediatric neurosurgeon in Philadelphia. I moved to Philadelphia after I'd been retained to do the case where I worked for a year. And I went to court. He was there during my testimony. He won it. And he was so grateful for the way I handled myself at the time of deposition. And we won it. And he he said the, the, the way I did it, I literally deflated the uh, the the plaintiff's attorney. So yes, I mean I'm uh, there. Are there are instances I can point out where it was actually joyful to to uh, to learn and um, be aware of the outcome. Finally, let's let's talk about billing. You know, at the very end of the case. Uh, do you, do you typically do project-based billing, um, hourly? Do you take a retainer? What's the best way to get paid? I request a retainer and then I submit a bill. Mm-hmm. That's about it. Do you have any final advice for newer experts or attorneys out there? A lot of newer experts, uh, you know, listen to the show, um, looking for kind of advice from more experienced people. So if there's any just wisdom that you've picked up that you wish you had known when you had started, or you think that a newer witness or an attorney who's hiring a newer witness might benefit from. My advice would be that, yeah, go ahead and do it. Uh, go go ahead and do it. it I, th- I think there's some pluses to being an expert witness. I, I think it's an educational experience. Uh, I think it gives you an insight into the legal profession, which which is worthwhile uh, having an understanding of. And then also, just to be aware of the medical legal environment, it's it's healthy from in terms of your own performance and and uh, well being. It's helpful to understand. So I say, yeah, do it. But the first thing uh, to remember is that, uh, you know, you're you're sworn to tell the truth and the whole truth. You, you know, you're a physician first. So practice your 
your specialty or your profession. Don't make it your major means of uh, living. I mean, I uh, I'm sure it's very tempting. Do what you're supposed to do, which is take care of patients. And my advice uh, to um, an attorney is uh, get yourself a, an expert with the best credentials. Uh, you know, there are a lot of people out there who are up front on the, you know, I'll take on your case, you know. And so you don't want to get yourself into a situation where you've got a bogus expert <laughs> when, when push gets to shove. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, they're ripping all sorts of holes uh, into your credentials and into your honesty and, and into the evidence that you're coming up with. Uh, you don't want to be in that position. Choose good experts, sage advice. Thank you so much, Dr. Siegel, for joining me here today. And thank you to our listeners for joining us on another discussion at the Roundtable. Thank you for listening to our podcast, Discussions at Roundtable. Our show notes are available on our website, roundtablegroup.com. Subscribe today on Apple Podcasts or your favorite listening apps. 